listening to the Northside Christian Church Sermon Podcast. These teachings are recorded at our weekly Sunday morning gatherings in Springfield, Missouri. For more about our church, service times, and how to connect, visit northsidechristianchurch.net. Sacrifice has always impressed me. It's always moved me. And I cry easier these days, and I don't think it's just getting older. I think the Lord is softening my heart with empathy and gratitude. It is true that you simply cannot say thank you enough. It's not possible. In Romans chapter 12, verse 10, it tells us to outdo one another in showing honor. And it seems especially important and and appropriate on this Veterans Day weekend to do just that. I'm going to ask that if you are one of our veterans in the room here, that you would just stand up. Any branch of the military, would you just stand where you are? Now, before the church applauds, hold your applause, please. Um, What I want to do is just to pray the Lord's blessing and a prayer of gratitude for you. And so, church, let's join together in this prayer right now. Jesus, our hearts are glad and grateful, even if there's grief mixed in there too. We don't grieve like those without hope. Our hope is in you. And we are grateful for these men, these precious brothers in the Lord. We thank you for the way that you have preserved them for us today. We thank you for the blessings that you have provided for us in our nation for which they've given so much to protect. And despite the divisions in our nation today, we find ourselves right now together in this expression of gratitude. We find ourselves in unity right now as we even turn that gratitude ultimately to you. We ask that your blessing would rest on these men, their families. We ask that your blessing would rest on our nation. We need you. We're desperate. And we ask these things in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Church, would you show your honor and gratitude at this time for these men? Thank you. Thank you. Uh, you may can have a seat. I appreciate it so much. I have, uh, I have loved this sermon series. The last few months have been great for me. And um, I know that every single one of us has certain heart messages that connect with us, some better than others. It's natural. It's okay. Um, for some of us, it's sermons that have to do with, like, peace in our finances, right? Because, like, stewardship stuff, that just... That gets us. For others of us, it's not that. It might be something else. It's like uh, sermons that have to do with like personal holiness, being set apart for God. That gets us fired up. Others of us, it's sermons about like the grandeur and the majesty of God or just his sovereignty and control in the universe. And when we hear messages like that, we just, we resonate quickly with that. For others of us, it's going to be any sermon that's centered on Jesus. We just love that name so much. I don't know what it is for you. I can tell you that the last few months have been that for me. My heart has just been lit on fire 
for Northside to be a disciple-making church like never before. We're shifting things. We're trying new things. We're casting vision. We're trying to be bold in new ways. And most of what we've addressed in the last few months has dealt with what we call the four fields. You've probably seen this graphic already. This is a biblical pathway for making disciples. We see it in Jesus. We see it in the early church. Number one is we will prayerfully enter the harvest field. This means we intentionally go where the lost and broken people are. And in many cases, you don't have to go very far. In fact, it might even be in your own home. But we engage lostness. That's what it means to enter the harvest field. For others of us, it actually means we get on a plane and we go to an unreached people group, maybe for life. Maybe that's God's call in your life. I don't know. But we enter the harvest field. Number two, we prayerfully share the gospel. This means we open our mouths and we tell people what we've experienced in Jesus. Sometimes that comes just in the form of praying for people. Other times it will come in the form of giving a short testimony of what God has done for you. Number three is we will prayerfully make disciples. This means that we will teach people to obey all that Jesus commanded. And uh, we don't aim only for knowledge, but for action-oriented discipleship. Now, we're not opposed to knowledge. We just know it's not supposed to stop there. It's supposed to go on to faithful obedience, to do what Jesus taught us to do. That's the key. Number four is we will prayerfully form churches. Prayerfully form churches. And those groups, those churches, they, they, they may not look exactly like Northside on a Sunday morning, but they will carry the same DNA that's in our bloodstream, where we are devoted to the apostles' teaching, devoted to the fellowship, devoted to the breaking of the bread, and to, devoted to prayer. And all the while, we are devoted to also raising up leaders who can do the same thing. And this process repeats over and over. This biblical pathway... Along with it, we have given some modern-day tools that we just think are helpful for that. We've given you tools like the prayer wheel, that we are praying for disciple-making movement, and we're praying for the right things that resonate with the heart of the Father. And, going, and the practice of prayer walking, we've, given, we've talked about that. Uh, we've talked about the three circles, because we want to give you a tool that is simple and reproducible to share the gospel with somebody. We've talked about the live-work playlist, where you think through the people that you live with, work with, play with, go to school with, and you look at that list through the lens of making disciple-makers. And all of these tools have been outreach focused and rightly so. And if you have missed any of what I've just tried to blast through, I want to urge you to go to our website, northsidechristianchurch.net slash disciple. You're going to see helpful videos and tools and downloadables. And if you've missed a sermon or two along the way, please, please, please go back and listen to that. And maybe it would even be good to listen to sermons you've already listened to so that it stays fresh. You'll be glad that you did. One more option for you is that uh, you can mark your calendars for January 15th. We have another disciple-making training coming up on January 15th. We will offer session one and session two again, and we will also add another session, session three. Last week, just this last Sunday, we offered session one again, and then we also launched session two. Brian King, Charlie Spencer, and some of their crew from Oklahoma came up for this training, and we had a great time with them again. We were shocked with how many people were at the first training. Uh, we had to kind of blow the room up a little bit with chairs if you were there. And then uh, we also had a good crew for session two. We we're glad for that. Let me tell you something very, very cool that happened last Sunday. Uh, we know about 25 people who uh, went out into our community and in 45 minutes time, those 25 people encountered 31 people. 
They prayed for 14 people and shared the gospel with seven. You can kind of see that on the whiteboard laid out there. So can we celebrate that good work last Sunday? Isn't that awesome? And this is how it's done. This is how it's done. This is where we've been. So what I want to do is I just want to take a little poll to see how we're doing as a church. Now, if we were in a living room setting, if we were in a a life group or a disciple-making group, we would call this our look-back section. And in our look-back section, we would ask a few questions. Things like, how was your week? What are you thankful for? What was challenging for you? We would also ask questions like, how did you do obeying the scripture last week? How'd that go? We would ask questions like, who did you tell about our text last week? It's kind of hard to do in a room this size. Right? So I want to try something else. We're just going to do a little poll, a little show of hands. Now let me explain. What I want to know is, what I want to see is how many of us in the last few weeks, think about the last few weeks now, in the last month, how many of us have intentionally, that's a key word, intentionally prayed with somebody? Family or not, doesn't matter. Intentionally shared the gospel with somebody. Intentionally started a spiritual conversation, intentionally um, met someone's need in Jesus' name. Now, now I want to see in just a moment, but while you're thinking, just processing, let me try to qualify that just a little bit. Uh, To raise your hand does not mean you're super spiritual. According to the Bible, you're quite normal. To not raise your hand doesn't imply that you are unspiritual. What it acknowledges is that we stand opposed. This good work stands opposed. Some things don't stand opposed. In the last service, I saw a lot more uh, Chiefs fans in the 9 o'clock service, okay? They stand opposed, but you can talk to anybody about the Chiefs, right? That kind of conversation doesn't stand opposed. But you go up to someone and talk about Jesus, that's opposed. So if you find yourself in the last few weeks not thinking of something where you can raise your hand today, just know it's all right. Do you, do you know that I find it much easier right now to stand on this platform and speak to you all than I do when I'm sitting at a table in a restaurant and God says, I want you to pray for that waiter. Right now? Yeah. So, so there is fear in me, but here's, here's the thing. We cannot let the fear of sharing the gospel eclipse the command to share the gospel. Okay. So I just want to see a little show of hands. So you've had some time to think now in the last few weeks. uh, uh, Intentionally prayed with somebody. Intentionally shared the gospel with somebody. Intentionally met someone's need in Jesus' name. Intentionally started a spiritual conversation. Can I see a show of hands today? Praise the Lord. Can we celebrate that good word? Isn't that awesome? I'm so glad to see it. I'm so glad to see that, and I praise the Lord for what God is doing to stretch us and move us outside of what's comfortable. A few weeks ago, I was on a morning walk with my son, Caleb. Caleb is seven years old. We're walking the dog. That's before uh, God decided we should live in Alaska. The weather was nice that morning, and um, we went out on this morning walk, and uh, I was just talking, you know, and he started a conversation. He, he was telling me about a new friend that he made at the Sunday night kids program practice, talking about his new friend. I'm like, cool, I'm glad you're making, making a friend there. He said it was his first time, you know, and they really hit it off quick, good buddies, you know, from the beginning. I said, that's great. He told me that um, he told his new friend that he would not be there the following Sunday night because our family was going to be out of town on vacation. And his friend got real dejected, and his friend said this to Caleb, well, then who's going to be my friend? Don't. <laughs> you're like, oh, that hurts so bad, you know. 
And Caleb had a good response. He said, just go up to somebody and say, will you be my friend? <laughs> How hard is this, you know? And the kid, he, he looked at Caleb and he just said, that's awkward. Do you, you mean to tell me I'm supposed to go up to somebody I don't know and just ask them to be my friend? I love Caleb's answer to that. He goes, pretend you don't care. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, pretend you don't care. It's brilliant. It's brilliant. Do you know how many adults I've talked to over the years that are like, man, going to somebody I don't know and praying with them and talking to them about Jesus? Man, it's so awkward. I think Caleb's got some advice for you. Pretend you don't care. Yeah. Just pretend you don't care. <laughs> I told my precious bride I was going to tell you all that story. And she was like, you should probably pass along that really only about 70% of that is actually true. Uh, it's just how Caleb tells stories. So I don't know. Uh, but I thought it was hilarious. Uh, pretend you don't care. It's not bad advice, I suppose. But I wonder if maybe Jesus provided something better. Instead of pretending we don't care, maybe we should truly believe that Jesus does. So we're going to look at what he did. John chapter 1 is our text. You turn in your Bibles there. John chapter 1. I have really enjoyed this practice that we've employed lately of standing in honor of God's word. This is a special book. We want to give it special attention. And we're going to honor the word of the Lord in a special way. And most weeks we've been doing that. Can I just say maybe not today? And here's why. It's a long passage. We're going to be reading the whole thing. But what I would like to do is actually break it up into chunks and then give some commentary along the way. So rather than having stand and sit and stand and sit, I love your knees. So stay seated and we're going to read this text together. I'm going to start in verse 29. John chapter 1, verse 29. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Here is the Lamb of God. This is John the Baptist talking. Here's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I told you about. After me comes a man who ranks ahead of me because he existed before me. I didn't know him, but I came baptizing with water so he might be revealed to Israel. Now, push pause. Why would John the Baptist, who was Jesus' cousin, not know Jesus? Shouldn't they know one another? It doesn't make any sense. They certainly would have known each other growing up. Their stories shared a lot of commonality. I think what John actually means here is he knew Jesus as cousin. He knew Jesus as the prophesied one, but it would be in the baptism of Jesus, which happened 40 days before this. It was in the baptism of Jesus that Jesus was confirmed to be the Messiah and the Christ. And you get this from the following verses. Skip to verse 30 or go to verse 32. And John testified. I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and he rested on him. I didn't know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water told me, the one you see the Spirit descending and resting on, he is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. John is simply noticing and testifying of his own experience in Jesus. And that's really all it means to be a witness. In a court of law... If you're called in to be a witness, they have not called you in because you have been trained as a professional communicator. We think sometimes witnessing is for people who are trained to be professional communicators, professional pastors or whatever. In a court of law, that's not why you're called in as a witness. You're called in because you've had an experience. And you're supposed to give testimony to that experience. John the Baptist had an experience with Jesus. It changed him. And he was testifying to what he had seen and heard. And maybe you've had an experience, an encounter with Jesus. 
And you can testify to what you have seen and heard. Verse 35. The next day, John was standing with two of his own disciples. And when he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. There he goes again. John's announcing the Lamb of God. He's revealing the Lamb of God. And I don't think it's coincidental that the gospel writer John picks up on what John the Baptist is doing here. Because in John's writings, he's always revealing something. John always is using words like see and look and behold and notice and reveal. It's called the book of Revelation. It's a revealing. He's always revealing Jesus. John the Baptist is revealing Jesus to his own disciples. Think about this. He is steering the attention away from his own leadership. Do you know what that would be like? That would be like me saying, hey, Northside, there's a really powerful worship service down the road. You should go to that. I'll be the first car. Let's go. That's kind of what John's doing here. We see it in John chapter 3, just a couple chapters later. Uh, John the Baptist says things like that Jesus must increase, I must decrease. He's always revealing Jesus. And I want you to see what his two disciples did. Verse 37, the two disciples heard him say this and followed Jesus. They did it. They get on their own two feet and they actually go and follow after Jesus. Verse 38 says, Jesus turned around and he noticed them and he spoke. Are you ready for this? All that John has been doing in his gospel right now is he's been revealing Jesus. And it's quite a revealing. If you start in John chapter 1 verse 1, it's a heavy hitter. This guy matters. And right now we're about ready to hear the very first words of Jesus in the gospel of John. In my Bible, this is in red ink. I don't know about your Bible. In mine, it's in red. This matters. All the setup that's taken place to this point is leading us to know who this Jesus is. And now he's ready to speak. The one who spoke eternity into existence, the one who spoke you and me into existence, he's about ready to speak. And you want to know what he has to say? Here it is. What do you want? Look at it. Jesus is basically saying that. What are, you, what are you looking for? He turns around and he sees, the, sees those two guys follow him. What are you looking for? It's a question. It's kind of weird. I, I don't think that John is simply stating what unfolded in a dialogue. I think rather John is revealing something. Rather than dictating a conversation, John is revealing an intention. The intention of Jesus is this. How may I serve you? Jesus' first words in the gospel are a question. He's revealing an infinite interest in the other person's needs. Do we? Do we, do we reveal infinite interest in others before ourselves? And now these soon-to-be disciples have a question of their own. Look at the second half of verse 38 there. They said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Does that question sound creepy to you? I want you to imagine that you've had the opportunity to meet a celebrity, someone that you have treasured and valued and followed for years and years and years. And you finally get to meet this person face to face. And your first question to them is, what hotel are you staying at tonight? What room? You know, it's weird. I, you're sure to hear, you know, something like, you know, security follow the short guy. You know, trust me. Okay. That's what you would hear. No, I'm joking. I didn't do that. Um, look, the, the disciples question is less about an address and it's more about a relationship. They didn't ask Jesus for something they could plug into their GPS. They asked Jesus for something they could pursue with all their heart. 
Then Jesus says what I believe are some of the warmest words you will ever hear. Verse 39, come and you will see. Throughout the Gospels, we we see Jesus in different lights. We see his power. uh, We see his holiness. We see his trust in the Father. We see his purity, his sternness, his miraculous strength. We see his compassion. But have you ever thought of Jesus being warm? Do Do you know anybody like that? that embodies a warm spirit of invitation. One of my favorite Tom Hanks movies is A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, where he portrays our beloved Fred Rogers, Mr. Rogers. There's a scene in the movie where Mr. Rogers is on the phone and he's talking with Lloyd Vogel. Lloyd is the hardened journalist who's been commissioned to interview Fred Rogers. He's not really looking forward to this job. And Fred is on the phone with Lloyd and Mr. Rogers asks this question. Do you know what's most important to me right now? And Lloyd, in his dry response, he goes, no, what? And Fred Rogers, in his sing-songy voice, he says, Talking to you right now? That's warmth. That's availability. I imagine that Jesus is the most warm and inviting person who's ever lived. And the two disciples must have felt it in this simple and powerful invitation. Come and see. You want to know how I know that? Verse 39 points out that it was 4 o'clock in the afternoon. Your Bible may say the 10th hour. 4 in the afternoon. There's only one way that little detail could make its way into the text. It had to be done by an eyewitness. John's there. John and Andrew were the two disciples. And four o'clock in the afternoon would have forever changed in John's life. Every day four o'clock rolls around. He's like, this was the time when Jesus called me into a relationship with him. It's no ordinary time. Going on here, verse 40. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard John and followed him. He first, we'll come back to that word in a little bit. He first found his own brother Simon and told him, we found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. And he brought Simon to Jesus. When Jesus saw him, he said, you are Simon, son of John, you'll be called Kephas. He gave him a nickname right out of the gate, which is translated Peter. Verse 43, the next day Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. He found Philip and told him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the hometown of Andrew and Peter. And Philip found Nathanael and told him, We found the one Moses wrote about in the law, and so did the prophets. Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. (laughs) Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Nathanael asked him. Come and see, Philip said. Here's what I think is going on. Andrew goes to tell his brother Simon, Peter, that they found the Messiah. And I think it's implied in verse 41 here by that word, first that John went to find his brother James, second. And the next day, we see Philip, probably a friend of these fishermen boys, and uh, he is given an invitation by Jesus to follow him. So Philip went and found Nathanael. And when Nathanael questions, if anything good, like a Messiah, can come from Nazareth, look at Philip's response. Come and see. Sound familiar? The methodology of the Messiah is multiplying. Jesus had this contagious spirit of invitation. But I want you to notice what Jesus does not invite the disciples into. He does not invite them into a program. Discipleship is not a program. 
He doesn't invite them into a church service or an event or a conference or a Christian concert. And there is nothing wrong with that. But I want you to see what Jesus is inviting them into. He's inviting them into a relationship and into a community. And here's what I think our text is saying for us today. We will be like Jesus as we reveal him through a come and see spirit of invitation. We will be more and more like Jesus as we reveal him through this come and see spirit of invitation. What I want to do is just spend the rest of our time looking forward on how we can put Jesus' ways into practice in our own lives. lives. And if I could um, adopt the spirit of warmth that is in that invitation, come and see, I'd like to do it with an acronym. We've given some helpful tools along the way through all of this. This may be more of just a memory tool, and it's the word warm. We're going to use the acronym WARM. I really appreciate what Kara Powell wrote in her book, Growing With. She said this, In many of our nation's most effective congregations, it's not about hype. It's not about being hip. Given the relational, the relational hunger of today's young people, one senior pastor summarized in a simple phrase what we had seen in church after church. Warm is the new cool. It's got to be warm with people. A little while back, I heard Dr. Gina Zerlo speak in a Zoom meeting. She's the co-director at the Center of the Glo- uh, Study of Global Christianity. She was talking about some of the most current, effective models of evangelism and missions today. And she said this, hospitality is key. You want to be effective in evangelizing? We'll show some hospitality. Think about that. In other words, the level of warmth in our openness and invitation, it matters to making disciples. Are you hospitable? Do people describe you as warm? I'm not saying you have to have the gift of hospitality. I do know that Romans chapter 12, verse 13 tells us to pursue hospitality. But maybe we don't have the right idea in mind when we think of hospitality. Because if the first thing that comes to your mind is this Joanna Gaines, uh, you know, cased openings, French doors, open concept, and shiplap all over the place, I don't think that's what we're talking about here. There's a spirit of hospitality that can exist with us where we learn how to be warm with people. Because here's the truth, folks. We live in a cold, divisive, and cynical culture. We need warmth. And I think it would help advance the kingdom of God if we learned how to be warm. So let's break it down. W stands for welcome. Have you ever been struck by how welcoming Jesus was? I'm shocked. I'm still shocked and encouraged by who Jesus preferred to hang out with. You got Matthew, the tax collector. He was the one that people preferred to ignore at best and probably loved to hate. He was the betrayer of Jews and the butt of jokes. He was the outcast, and that's, that's when Jesus called him to be a disciple. <laughs> that's when Jesus welcomed, welcomed him to be a part of the group. In John 8, we find a woman who's caught in the act of her sexual sin, and she's brought before Jesus. And according to the law, Jesus had the right to pick up rocks and stone her to death. But he was there to fulfill the law, and so he chose to reveal mercy by welcoming her in love and then calling her to leave her sin behind. In Luke chapter 7, we see a a sinful woman anointing Jesus' feet with this extravagant gift of perfume and then drying his feet with her own hair. There's a Pharisee sitting by, and he's offended by this uh, lavish and scandalous demonstration. Jesus doesn't hold her at arm's length. He welcomes her act of worship. In Luke 19... 
Jesus invites another tax collector and welcomes Zacchaeus out of the sycamore tree and into his home to share a meal with him, to share community with him. And later on, we see the evidence of life change in Zacchaeus. And this is what Jesus says in closing of that little encounter. He says, For the Son of Man has come to seek and save the lost. He didn't say he came to seek the saved and make them more saved. Do you remember how Jesus was given the name friend of sinners? Think about this. Jesus obeyed all the law perfectly. Jesus lived the Old Testament text to perfection, and he was given the nickname friend of sinners, and it wasn't a compliment. Is it possible that we can obey the text We can live the text and still be given that same nickname? I hope so. Lord, help us to do that well. It's tricky. I chose this word welcome because I think it's important to notice that Jesus does not gloss over people's sin. Now, we say things like in our culture, we say, well, we need to accept people. It's true. That is true. But it's kind of a double-sided word. You know what I'm saying? It's tricky. Does that mean we agree with their choices? Does it mean that um, we just acknowledge their humanity? Does it mean that we treat them like family? Like, what are we talking about here when we say accept people? That's why I like this word welcome. Jesus had a way of welcoming people, yet still acknowledge their sin. But this is key. He did not let their sin define them. Our culture may wear sin as a badge of Identity or a badge of honor. It just depends on the person. And sometimes you've got to take this case by case. You have to. But rather than expecting people to get cleaned up before Jesus can give them a bath, I think we can follow his example. I think we can offer a spirit of welcome. Here's why. So that we will have the opportunity to impact their lives according to God's will. Aren't you glad Jesus welcomed you? Look, I realize this gets messy. I know it's sticky sometimes. Welcome to kingdom work. (laughs) Welcome to making disciples. Not always easy. Letter A stands for accessibility. Jesus was accessible. Have you ever noticed that Jesus didn't really mind interruptions? I do. It's just my personality. I'm just being honest. It bugs me. It bugs me when I'm cut off in the middle of a thought. Introverts in the room? Can I hear hear from you? Well, that's a stupid question. Um, I'm not... (laughs) I'm not going to hear from the introverts. Um, but, but you know what it's like, right? You know what it's like to get cut off in the middle of a thought and interrupted. Usually when an unexpected interruption comes up, my first thought is not, oh, this will be fun. <laughs> you know, God's growing me in this. But Jesus, he displays a spirit of invitation by being accessible, even interruptible. Mark chapter 5, we see that Jesus is on his way to heal Jairus' daughter. And along the way, there's a woman with an issue of blood and she touches his cloak and she's healed. And Jesus stops the crowd to look for her. I'm sure Jairus is there going, come on, come on, come on, come on. We don't have time for this. But Jesus saw the value in the moment and he yielded to it. Did you notice in John chapter one, if you start in John chapter one, verse one, our text for today, and you read that whole chapter, you're going to see quite a list of what others will call Jesus. It's quite a list of names. Things like this, the word, the true light, the only son from the father, God, the Messiah, the lamb of God, son of God, the king of Israel. That's quite a list. 
of what other people call Jesus. Do you want to know what he uses to name himself? It's in the last verse of that chapter. Son of man. Jesus is accessible. He's relatable. He's interruptible. And perhaps one of the best ways that we can show warmth and a spirit of invitation as a part of making disciples is just leave a little bit of margin in your schedule so that you're prepared for the unexpected. You're making room for the unexpected. And I think if we were going to do a time audit of our day, we might just find that there's probably plenty of opportunities that could be redeemed a little bit better. And can I tell you that God is growing me in this? He's growing me in this. But we need to be accessible. Letter R is for ready. Or to be ready. To be ready, that's different than being accessible. To be accessible means that our, our, uh, our time and our posture is willing to submit to others at a moment's notice. To be ready is to prepare in advance, to be inviting with people. How, how prepared are you to invite people into a relationship with Jesus? Do you feel equipped to do that? When my wife goes to the grocery store on Thursday mornings, she will take her purse, she will take a couple bottles of water, and usually like some granola bars or trail mix or something like that, because she is sure that she's going to have an encounter with somebody who needs help. And here lately, they have actually come up to her car door before she even gets out. I mean, they're just right there. And she's, but she's ready. She's ready to help them in Jesus' name. So I don't know what readiness looks like for you. I don't know what preparedness looks like for you. Let me give you a couple options. One is just to simply uh, get some Northside invite cards and keep them in your wallet. Just have them ready. You never know, right? Another would be to kind of revisit some of these tools that we've been talking about so that when the opportunities come, you actually are prepared. You are ready to bless people in Jesus' name. Maybe you've got to go back and watch some of those sermons to refresh or listen to it as a podcast when you're in the car. Let's be ready. But here's the thing. We are not inviting people just to a service or event or anything like that. That's part of it. We are aiming to invite people into a relationship. Letter M stands for this. Meet people's needs. One of the best ways to adopt a spirit of invitation is simply meet people's needs. Brokenness will always create a need. Physical brokenness creates a physical need. Spiritual brokenness creates a spiritual need. If you break a bone, you need a cast. If you have a broken heart, you need a savior. Brokenness always creates a need. And Jesus modeled for us how to meet both of those needs. In Matthew chapter 9, verses 1 to 8, we see that there's a paralytic man who is lowered by his four friends through the roof to where Jesus was teaching. Jesus looks and he sees the faith of the friends and he says to the man, have courage, son, your sins are forgiven. He's meeting the spiritual need. Just seconds later, he would say, get up, take your stretcher and go home. Get out of here. And and Jesus meets the man's physical need. Because brokenness always creates a need. When we practice the spirit of invitation, we will meet the needs of broken people all around us. I had a really helpful discussion with uh, one of our global workers in North Africa named Rob. Uh, As I was talking with him about adopting this spirit of invitation, he said this to me. One of the best ways to meet people where they are is to serve them. And when they ask you where your joyful and sacrificial heart comes from, you get a chance to share the gospel. Sometimes we assume that making disciples always begins with a spiritual conversation. Sometimes it does. But oftentimes, if we would just meet people where they are, maybe beginning by meeting their needs, we might find an open door to share the good news of Jesus. And Rob refers to this as a stair-step approach. He puts it like this. Allow normal conversations to become deeper conversations. Allow deeper conversations to become spiritual conversations. 
and allow spiritual conversations to lead to discovering God. Now, you don't have to be weird about this. You ever know anybody that's oversaved? Like, it can't have a normal conversation, you know? Man, it's hot today. You want to know where else it's hot? You know, come on. We can be normal, okay? Uh, we can have normal conversations. But use those to go deeper. Use those to go spiritual. Use those to lead to discovering God. Meet people where they're at. Where there's brokenness, meet that need. So that ultimately we can invite them to a relationship with Jesus who can meet all their needs. Would you consider yourself to be a warm person like Jesus? Or do you find yourself so easily falling into the trap of coldness and cynicism and callous hearts? Did you know what Proverbs 28 says? It says, whoever, it says, blessed is the man who fears the Lord, but whoever hardens his heart falls into calamity. When we have that cold, cynical, hard heart, we're heading in the wrong direction. There's a softness in Jesus. There's a warmth to Jesus. And I pray we'd be like him. And I just want to wrap up with a quick story here from one of our Northsiders. Kate Martin texted Tiffany Bloom, our children's minister, with the story. I just want to pass it on to you. Here's what her text says. I know you can't see it on the screen there, but I'll read it. Hey, I wanted to pass along a really great compliment on Trunk or Treat. My HVAC guy was there. I saw him with his family, but didn't get the chance to say hi. He came to do my furnace maintenance today, so I mentioned it to him. He said he thought it was awesome. He's been to a lot of events of that type, and it was clear that there was a lot of passion and care put into it, and that everyone was actually welcome. Which is not the case with certain churches in the area. He was very impressed. Just thought I'd pass it on. It was nice to hear an opinion from someone who was a complete outsider to it. Isn't that good? Like, this is great. This is what we celebrate. I want you to use your imagination, though. I want you to imagine what it would look like if each of us adopted this invitational culture of Jesus. Imagine what, what might be the result if people knew we were followers of Jesus and warmly and proactively invited them into the greatest relationship they'll ever know. Imagine what would happen if the perception of the church in Springfield was that we were welcoming and still held faithfully to the integrity of the text. Imagine the potential of multitudes in heaven simply because we were willing to do what Jesus did for others and say, come and see. Imagine what would happen if we were like Philip and we revealed Jesus to others by simply saying, come and see Jesus with me. Come and see Jesus with me. Maybe you've had some stories that you want to share with us. We would love, we'd love to hear these kinds of stories. And we want to encourage you. You can email us, amen at northsidechristianchurch.net, and you can share that story. Or just go to our website on our discipleship page and click the link, share my story. Maybe the Holy Spirit's been gently convicting you this morning of a lack of warmth in your life. Perhaps you need to confess that. You need to pray that God would bring correction. And I'd love to pray with you about that. I'll be in our decision point area out these doors in just a minute. Um, or you can fill out the form online with the information you see on the screen there. If you're not comfortable with that, can I just encourage you another direction? Maybe you have a brother or sister close by sitting next to you and you need to pray with them today before you leave. And just say, would you pray? I'm, I'm lacking some warmth here. I want to be like Jesus and I need help. 
and you take that opportunity to pray right then and there. If you're watching online, uh, if you want someone to respond to maybe a prayer request that you have or a need that you have, we want to encourage you to go to our website. You can fill out that form. Church, I want to ask that we'd stand together right now. And um, what we're going to do here is we're going to declare the mercy of God. We're going to sing the same thing at the same time. We're going to pray the same thing at the same time as we acknowledge his mercy over our lives, his compassion for us. And may we follow suit and be just like Jesus as we show mercy to others. Thanks for joining us this morning, Northside. Before you go, make sure you check in and let us know you were here. Text the word CHECK to 417-233-1200. If you want to respond to today's service, you can do that online through Decision Point. If you want to know more about baptism or becoming a member, you can request more info at northsidechristianchurch.net slash decision. This is also the place to find out about our life groups, find out what sort of service opportunities there are, or if you just need to get in touch with a minister. And if you're online, you probably use social media too. Make sure you're following along with Northside on our Facebook page, Instagram account, YouTube channel, or Twitter. We are glad that you chose to join us this morning. As we head out for the week, let's make sure we take the love of God with us. Take good care of each other, Northside.